Welcome into the NHL at the Rink podcast. Dan Rosen here, Sean Rourke out there. Sean, how are you today, man? Good. First week of June, Dan. Usually a really special time for us. We're together on the road at the Stanley Cup final. No idea who it would have been if, if it had been played this week. Um, hopefully we're going to get to it at some point in the fall. But uh, obviously a very different world that we're in right now with the COVID and everything else. And a different world socially. A world that's impacted hockey. And, you know, this is a hockey podcast, but... I think, you know, obviously we're going to talk a little bit about some of the social happenings that are going on right now before we get to that. Yeah, no, absolutely. You know, and you're right. This is a hockey podcast and we do typically deal with the nuts and bolts of the game and we'll do that. We're going to talk later on in this podcast about Jack Eichel's frustrations in Buffalo and Jeff Blashill's return to the Detroit Red Wings, the matchups and the qualifying rounds. But you know, we can't ignore, like you said, we can't ignore what's going on in the world today. And the NHL released a statement, and a part of that statement, uh, you're hearing from players all across the league, and as part of the NHL statement is we share the sentiments expressed by our players and clubs in their calls for justice, and we encourage everyone to use their platforms and privilege for systemic change. So that's what we're going to try to do here in this podcast. We're going to use this podcast to, to this is our platform, and we're going to bring on a little in a little bit Bill Douglas, who's a colleague of ours at NHL.com. For years, he's written the Color of Hockey blog. He covered the White House for a number of years too, especially through the Bill Clinton era. And and Sean, I can't think of a better person to have on that can really, with an authoritative voice, talk about everything that's going on in the world today and how it relates back to the hockey community and what the hockey community can do for it. No, Bill's one of the most interesting people I've ever met in this profession. His his professional experience is unmatched. I mean, political reporter, everything that's touching this argument, he's covered in some way yeah. at some point in his career. So, you know, I, I think he's going to be perfect, and, and I think it's going to help us learn. And, and the thing that struck me so much about what's happened since George Floyd died and the protests that have come out of it and the statements that have, have come out of that is so many of our players saying – I don't know what's happening. I don't yeah. understand what's happening. I need to listen and I need to learn. And I think that's what we all need to do. I need to listen and I need to learn. And I think listening to Bill talk about his experiences and, and what he thinks about, you know, the black hockey community and the hockey community as a whole and how they can help it can only help in this process. And, you know, players like Braden Holtby and Jonathan Taze, you know, have made statements. The Jonathan Taze statement was unbelievable. Oh, the video that incredible. went with it of, of the two men arguing about how they solved the problem. Nobody knows how to solve this problem, but we can listen and we can learn. And, and I think that's what we're going to do with Bill. Absolutely. I mean, we've heard some Blake Wheeler, Tom Wilson, Sidney Crosby of late, Brian Boyle, Austin Matthews, Alex Ovechkin, Steven Stamkos, Logan Couture, uh, Evander Kane, Kyle Turris, Connor Carrick, the list goes on. So let's hear from Bill now. Let's bring him in and, and let's get Bill's take on what is going on in the world today and, and, and how it relates back to hockey. Bill, how you doing, man? Thanks so much for joining us. Oh, well, thank you. Thanks for having me. Hey, Bill, I, I did a really good sales job on the way into this segment talking about how happy we were to have you here and how you're probably the most qualified person in the NHL to talk about the things that we're going to talk about. But I can only do so much. You should lay out your credentials and a little bit about your career and how interesting it's been to the point where you, you joined us in the last couple of years. Uh, it, it's been a pretty special reporting career. Well, thanks for the sales job. Um, yeah, I mean, I joined the NHL uh, last March uh, after, you know, 30 some odd years in, uh, in newspaper and covering politics. I mean, I 
you know, I covered, uh, uh, what, three, four presidents. I covered Bush, Clinton, uh, Obama, uh, covered the State Department, covered Congress. But also, you know, I had a, a passion for hockey. I mean, I played hockey since I was 12 years old. Um, and then I started writing a hockey blog about eight, nine years ago called The Color of Hockey, which chronicles the history and growing impact of people of color in the game. Um, and that sort of morphed into sort of almost a, a career and a job in and of itself. Um, you know, just writing about people, players from, from the NHL on down, um, you know, involved in the game. Uh, and not just on the ice, in, in, in the broadcast booth, in the ownership box, wherever. Um, and that's what got me to the National Hockey League. And now that you're here and, and, and you're hearing now through the last week, these players, many players of all different backgrounds, releasing statements or holding press conferences, acknowledging that work needs to be done in the community and, and within the hockey community too, and to achieve the goals of social justice. What's your takeaway? What's your reaction from seeing and hearing what, what we are seeing and hearing now from, from players in our, in our world? Well, this is a pretty significant moment, actually. I mean, you, you've got players, mostly white players, for the first time, you know, speaking out, um, you know, not taking, you know, major positions, but speaking out about how, what they see and how they feel about what's going on currently. Um, and this, this has an impact on society in general. Um, you know, we're seeing it in hockey, but we're also seeing it in other sports. Um, you know, the NFL players, um, more speaking out. And, and not just, you know, the players who spoke out before in the past, but now you're getting like quarterbacks, which is pretty significant. So for the National Hockey League, you're getting players of all levels. I mean, you're getting, you know, Blake Wheelers and Alex Ovechkins um, joining players who have spoken out before, like JT Brown. Um, and to have those star players, you know, contribute their voices amplifies uh, the issue, and that that helps things move forward. Now, in the framework of, of, of hockey itself, having those players speak out um, helps facilitate a conversation um, that the league's been interested in having, um, you know, uh, that the Commissioner Bettman spoke about um, in, during the Board of Governors meeting in December about the culture of hockey and the need to make some changes. To me, looking at it and having covered the league for over 20 years, it, it seems like an awakening, you know, players for a very long time were, were afraid of, of saying things. And, and a few players, Blake Wheeler was one of them, when he spoke in his press conference yesterday, he said, I've spent my whole career worried about what people think of me and what they'll think when I say these things. And, you know, I had to get to this point and, and the death of George Floyd and the unrest that's followed and that has pushed me to this point. But it, it almost seems like that, that last barrier, the, the, you're never bigger than the team. You can never step outside the team has been that artificial barrier has been eradicated. Exactly. And I, I think there are a couple of reasons for that. And I think Blake Wheeler addressed that um, yesterday. You know, I, I think part of this is, you know, in hockey, we talk about time and space on the ice, you know, time and space to create room to score goal. You know, I think with this issue, what, what's going on, players have had time and space to think, you know, in part because of the pause, you know, they're home, they're like everybody else. They're seeing what's going on. Um, and for some players, it, it has hit home like Wheeler because it's happening in Minnesota. But it's also hit home for other players because, you know, things are happening in Washington, D.C. Things are happening in France. Things are happening in Sweden. You know, they're, they're seeing this and they have time to see this. 
And I think that's contributed to more than speaking out. Um, you know, the fact that, you know, this is an issue that, you know, people have seen. You've, you've seen the video um, and you react to the video. And I think that's what's gotten the players to this point. Um, that there's no, there's no ambiguity here. Um, and because, you know, we're in a pause, you know, players are very focused people. You know, they're focused on the task at hand. You know, normally at this time, the task at hand is the playoffs. So that's where their mindset would be. Um, now we're in a pause. Um, you know, we're, you know, in a return to play mode, but still we're not back on the ice. So there's still a time to think about these things and to react to these things. And that's what we're seeing. To take it one step further, Bill, what specifically do you think players could do to help in this regard? What can they do to, to continue the conversation? What action can they take? What can they do to use their platform other than to speak? Well, I, I, you know, don't, don't diminish the power of speaking. I think speaking yeah. is, is the big first step, you know, and, but also speaking among themselves. I, I think that's an important thing to do too. Because, you know, I think this goes a little bit to, you know, you know teammate, teams or players who have minority teammates. Um, you know, we've seen situations where things have happened with minority players, I mean, taunts or some sort of racial abuse. Um, you know, the teams respond to that. You know, statements are put out. You know, we go and we talk to Devontae Smith-Pelly um, or Ke'Andre Miller and, you know, get where, how they feel about this. But, you know, are there conversations among the players themselves about what these players have gone through? Because, you know, they've gone through different things or different moments. I mean, you know, it was interesting reading Keandre Miller's statement yesterday about, you know, sometimes how he feels he's sort of just in the middle. You know, he's a hockey player who's black. So he's sometimes viewed as an anomaly among white players and white fans but he's a hockey player who's black. And so he's viewed as an anomaly within the framework of the African-American community. Um, so, you know, sometimes he doesn't know where he is. Um, and that's, you know, to have a conversation like that in a locker room, I think can be powerful. Um, it gives players um, and gives teams an understanding where their teammates are at. You know, uh, to Sean's point about, you know, players being reluctant to speak, you know, I look at sort of what, players of color have gone through over the decades uh, in phases. You know, when you look at, you know, Willie O'Ree, you know, first black player in the NHL, you know, totally by himself. Um, but then you look at that wave that came after him, you know, Mike Marson, Bill Riley, um, you know, with the Washington Capitals back in the early 70s. You know, they were together, but they were still kind of alone because they felt they could not, you know, speak about what happened to them or any problems that they had because they thought that that might be a one-way ticket to the minor leagues. Um, then that generation after them, you know, your Anson Carters, your Kevin Weekses, um, you know, you had more numbers um, and they felt a little bit freer to speak. Um, then you moved to that generation after them, you know, the Wayne Simmonses, um, the Stewart brothers. Um, they felt more uh, free to talk about what's happened with them. Also, I mean, they had a benefit of almost being from the same neighborhood, the Scarborough section of Toronto. So, you know, you, you had that sort of critical mass there um, and moved to this next generation 
um, the, the, the Devontae Smith Pellys, the K. Andre Millers, um, you know, the Akeel Thomases who are coming up who have been drafted recently. Um, you know, they have a, a larger platform, um, also with the benefit of social media to sort of speak about these issues and to come forward about these issues. Um, and, and that helps. But at the same time, them speaking alone um, just isn't enough. They need allies. They need help. Um, and I think what some of the white players have done, you know, in the past couple of days helps that and, and amplifies that. So basically, I think what you need to have is a, a continuation of that. I mean, this sort of can't be a one-off. Um, you know, this, is, this can't be a one and done where, okay, I've said my piece, time to move on. Um, you know, they need to, you know, sort of be true to their word, step up, and have this be a sustained conversation. Do you believe that that's starting to happen? I mean, with the critical mass that's been achieved when you look across the landscape of our league and the, the players that have weighed in and, and, and the, not only the numbers, but the tones of the messages, the emotional messages, Braden Holtby put out a message today that left me speechless. I think we've reached that critical mass where that's going to continue. I do. You know, I, I think, you know, in, in reading the statements and seeing some of these players speak that, you know, they're really, you know, they're really struck by what's going on right now. I mean, this is something that they've really thought about. Um, and it, it's funny because if you look at some of the statements, you know, they, some start out with like, I, I don't mean to offend anybody, you know. So, you know, issues of, of race are uncomfortable topics a lot of times. It's uncomfortable because people don't talk about it. Um, a lot of people don't know how to begin the conversation. You know, everyone's sort of walking on eggshells about, well, can I say this? Can I say that? You know, will I look like, you know, a fool if I ask this question? Will I look foolish? Or do I look like I don't know what I'm talking about? Um, you know, so to, to break that barrier, to start that uh, is important. And I think uh, with these statements, that has begun. And I think, yeah, I think it will be sustained, you know, because I, I think once these players get together, uh, you know, as we uh, continue on the process of return to play, I think they'll start having conversations among themselves. Uh, and I think that will lead to, to further conversations. So, yeah, I don't, I don't think this is a one-off. You know, we saw back in the Board of Governors meeting in December, and you and I were both there, um, you know, the, the plan laid out and, you know, the, the focus on improving inclusion and diversity in the game. I guess the, the question I have is, like, how fast can it go, do you think? I mean, can we, can we really make this a, a big, broad subject within the league among many players instead of, you know, a handful. Well, remember, when we were out in California, they, they talked about accelerating the process. Yeah. But, but even with an accelerated process, I mean, you know, change, change takes time. But you can accelerate the process by having the conversations. So, yeah, I think those can be, those can be accelerated. I mean, we have acceleration. This was not... You know, some of these players came out on their own and, and, and made statements. This was not, you know, the NHL sort of saying, can you make a statement? These were guys that felt compelled to do this on their own. Um, so that accelerates happen. So, you know, to do it within the framework of, of the plan that the league laid out, sure. I mean, that acceleration can continue. I think it will continue. Um, you know, will change come overnight? Not necessarily. Um, you know, you know, as someone points out, these are issues that have been happening for a few hundred years. So these things will take some time to to address. Um, now, what what the league can do and what the league, 
I think, wants to do is address issues as it impacts the National Hockey League. You know, that, that certain behaviors aren't acceptable in the NHL. Certain language is not acceptable in the NHL. And, and in, in the framework of hockey in general, um, and, and that's what they're trying to address. And I think what the players did this week helps that process. It helps speed that process along. You know, there's, there's one less concern to have. I mean, how will the players react to, you know, talking about this subject? Well, now we've seen how the players or, or how some players are going to react and how some players feel. And I, and I, and I think that helps open, th- open things up some more. I also think the reception has helped the players coming out and making themselves vulnerable vulnerable and being celebrated for that. But the other thing, and I said this in the introduction before we brought you on, is the one thing that struck me in a lot of the conversation is players saying, I don't know, I'm not educated, I can't relate to what's happening, I need to listen and I need to be educated. What can those players do to – and us? I need to be educated, I need to, to, to be better at – this situation and this topic, what can we all do to, to educate ourselves? Well, I, I, I think reading helps uh, for one thing. I mean, you know, I think we in the hockey world, again, get busy with the business of hockey um, and the business of hockey for us. A lot of times are the games, the playoffs, the standings and stuff like that. You know, I, you know, I think what I've done over the last couple of years is I've been able to sort of be able to step back and say, you know, while this is going on, this is going on. And just just to pay attention to what the sort of social environment is around hockey or, you know, how that environment impacts the players um, or, or what they're going through um, at that time. Um, you know, uh, reading about, you know, stories like Willie O'Ree, reading some books from from, you know, not not just players of color, but you know, I I wrote I a story uh, a couple months, actually last month, um, about Bernie Saunders. I wrote about Bernie Saunders, who was the NHL's fifth black, fifth black player, uh, played for the Quebec Nordique for about eleven games, um, and you know, he talked about how you know his struggles and how difficult it was to to play a game that he loved, but he felt didn't necessarily love him back a lot of times. Um, but just to, to read stories like that and to look back on how it was difficult for players of color and actually some players, you know, some white players, you know, in the story that I did about Bernie, I talked to um, Neil Smith, the former New York Rangers general manager. And he talked about, you know, how Bernie struggles could be similar to the struggles that Boris Salming and Inga Hammerstrom experienced when they came to the National Hockey League as Swedes. I mean, they were the, among the first Swedes in the NHL. Um, they had they had struggles. I mean, they were, um, you know, they had struggles on ice. They were targeted. Um, they weren't necessarily welcome. Um, same thing with the uh, the Russian players when they first came into the league. You know, they had to, you know, they had to endorse some things. So looking at those struggles and sort of appreciating what those struggles were and how they, how the players persevered through those help. Um, you know, I, I think just looking at fans, I mean, I think when people go to games um, and they hear something that's not right in the stands, as opposed to just sort of, you know, going back into your beer or rolling your eyes, um, you know, you, you might want to talk to that person and say, that's not right. Um, 
you know, people who go to youth hockey games and see kids um, who might be abused uh, by, you know, other parents, you know, as opposed to just, again, rolling your eyes or moving on, you know, speaking up. Um, you know, I, I did a podcast last year um, and uh, I interviewed a gentleman named uh, W. Kamau Bell, a comedian. Um, and he talked about what he called caping up. Um, that, you know, everybody's Clark Kent, everybody can be Superman. You know, you can cape up and you can speak up and speak out. Um, and I think a lot of people just sort of need to cape up and not be afraid to ask questions. I mean, you know, you know, we're, we're in the writing business. We're journalists. There should be no such thing as a, as a dumb question. Um, and if you look naive, if you look like you don't know, perfectly fine. That's why you're asking the question. And I think we have to get over that. And I think that helps. That's why we wanted to get you on this podcast, Bill, because you have an authoritative voice on this. And, and I, I mean, Sean and I couldn't have laid it out like that. So we're so happy that you were able to jump on with us and talk to us about this and continue, use this platform to further the conversation. So appreciate you jumping on with us, Bill. Thanks so much. Well, thank you very much. It's great getting Bill on. A lot of food for thought there, Sean. No, no question. I mean, like we said at the start, he brings a great perspective to this. And I thought he laid it out right there for us uh, in that interview. He, 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 he said a lot there that, that we all should be thinking about. Now, look, it's been eight days of really uncomfortable time for everybody in this country, I think, as they look to see where we're at and, and where, we, where we're going and where we can go. I know for me it has been. There's been a lot of introspection, and, and Bill was able to crystallize a lot of that. And like I said, the question I asked, you know, please help me understand and, and yeah. you know, what resources I can use to be better at this conversation and, and the point of, you know, asking questions and, and there are no dumb questions. I, I tend to be the arbiter of dumb questions and, <laughs> and ask more than my fair share, but uh, he's right in this. You, you, you can't not be educated at this point. That's the yeah. most important thing. No, and I also thought it was important that he said, it, it, you know, it can't be a one-off and just speaking is important. And just from my own personal view, I've asked myself, what can I do? And, and I think one of the most important things I can do, and I've done it several times already in these last week, is talk to my son about it. You know, I mean, he's almost 11 years old and he sees things on Instagram, he sees things on TikTok, and we have conversations about what's going on in the world and, 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 and why. And I'm hoping that that just, even just doing that little part you know, can, can help. It helps him. It helps him have a conversation with his buddies when, when they see something or on the news or on Instagram, like I said. So I'm, that, that's what we can do. Like Bill said, keep the conversation going. Yeah, it's got to be at the grassroots. So hopefully we, we get a little bit of that and open some people's eyes. And But look, everybody still, you know, this is going on and we have to deal with it. it, it and it, it's going to occupy a lot of what we do in the coming weeks, but there's still hockey around and, you know, we're hoping we're going to get back to playing and there's certainly no shortage of storylines. No, absolutely not. So you're right. So let's move on. Definitely no shortage of storylines. A couple of interesting ones of teams that are eliminated. You had uh, Jeff Blashill is, will, will be back with the Detroit Red Wings. Steve Eisman said that and Jack Eichel expressed his frustrations with what's going on with the Buffalo Sabres and all the losing. And let's unpack a little bit there. Uh, the Red Wings, Blashill, they had the worst points percentage, 275, in a season since the salary cap was introduced in 2005. And I think it's actually reasonable that he's going to come back despite that because it's not as if this guy has been given a, 
uh, a deep enough or a talented enough team to win consistently in the NHL. The, the Red Wings are in a rebuild, and Blashill inherited that, basically. A lot of teams have rebuilt in this league. Nobody's performed to the level they have. But well, I think well Jeff, the I think, Avalanche were close. The Avalanche were close, at, They were, at, and look where they are now. Okay, but I, I, they I think – Bednar. I, I think that the I, – and Bednar came in under very different circumstances. He came in late. He came in under controversy after Patrick Wall left. He didn't get to pick his team, his staff, anything. He came into a really bad situation yeah. um, and was given a little bit of runway to make that better. Um, look, and I think Jeff's a good coach. I mean, he, he won at the AHL level. But I, I don't know that the Detroit Red Wings are a 300 team. Talent-wise, there's some, there's some pretty nice players on that team. Um, with all that said, I think patience to a degree is key. I think continuity when you're trying to build something is key. And, and most importantly, Steve Eisenman's a little bit of a brighter hockey mind than I will ever be. Um, so, you know, my, my selling yourself short. My opinion, <laughs> you know, look, one's in the Hall of Fame and one's not. So I'm not selling myself short there. But there. I, I'm, I'm just saying, I, I think as the – the outsider looking in and a Detroit fan who might have some questions would be like, this isn't a team that should win, you know, one out of every five points, one out of every four points. Um, you know, what are we doing? Can't we bring in somebody who's a good developer with bad teams? Um, so, you know, I'm interested to see what happens this year. How long can the patients go on? Detroit is not a market. Uh, I'm not going to say they're not a market that doesn't accept a rebuild, but I don't know that they would accept a, a long-term downswing no and it will be interesting but but you're right he is a solid development coach and this was not a good year but he's got a lot of young players and there's more coming and maybe they get the number one pick maybe they don't no matter what they'll have to draft an impact player uh i think if he can't develop he falters there eisenman's gonna have to make a change but what about buffalo same division jack eichel he announced his frustrations, and it's pretty obvious why. I mean, the Sabres – look, I think the Sabres should have been better this season. Should they have been a playoff team? I don't know. Uh, should they have been a team that was in contention going into March? Yes, and they weren't. They finished – when the season paused, they were 13 points back. And I understand where Jack Eichel's coming from, and I don't believe it's a lot of Jack Eichel's fault where they are, but – the Sabres have to find a way to build around this guy and make it work, don't they? Yeah, and it's been depth. I mean, look, it's the same thing happened last year. They get later into the season, and, and they really struggle. They've been good for the last two years early on. You know, they didn't do well at the start of this season in Sweden, and then they really kind of found their way and were playing well, and you're like, oh, this has finally arrived. The, yeah. the, the things that I thought were most interesting that came out of that, look, Jack Eichel's gotten better every year. He's 23. He's in the prime of his career. There's nothing to suggest he won't be even better next year. But were some of the other things that were said in that conference and, and, and their virtual baggy day as they, they put mm -hmm. paid to their season, the overwhelming support for Ralph Kruger was, was unbelievable. I mean, guys just couldn't say enough about his culture, um, you know, what he's trying to accomplish there. And it was his first year. I think he gets a little bit of a buy, and the, the Sabres haven't done that very often. They've done a lot of change and, and haven't had that continuity. The other thing was Ristolainen basically saying, you know, if they change, I'm out of here. And he didn't seem all that heartbroken about it. Um, you know, he's tired of the losing, too. He's been through as much as Jack, if not more. Um, you know, and he's seen some other players come along and kind of take some of his playing time and everything else. So there's a lot to sort out in upstate New York.
they have the the cornerstone pieces, right? Eichel is a cornerstone piece. Rasmus Dahlin is a cornerstone piece. And the way they feel about Ralph Kruger makes him a cornerstone piece too because of the way they'll go to bat for that guy. They have to build around it. I, and, and they try. Look, Jeff Skinner, he had a down year. I mean, Jeff Skinner had 23 points in 59 games this season. Jeff Skinner's on an eight-year contract. He's got to be better than that. Uh, their penalty kill was brutal this season, 30th in the league at 74.6%. It's got to be better than that. So lots, of, lots there. Jason Botterill, by the way, he will be back as a general manager. So it's really going to be on him in the next uh, coming year or years to get this thing corrected. No, it's been a long time there to, for the, in Buffalo for them to get it corrected. Um, what do you think of Mark Recchi's comments? The Hall of Famer is in a system with the Penguins. He's telling Sportsnet that the Canadians are going to be a handful for the Penguins in the uh, qualifying round. They're a pain in the butt to play against. They skate well, fast discipline, and they have Carey Price. What do you think of Mark Recchi's comments? Do the Penguins have a real reason to be concerned here? I think Mark Recchi's comments are brilliant. Whether he believes them or not, I don't know. <laughs> Do you but, believe them? But they're brilliant because if you're looking at the standings and you're like, eh, we're going to roll over this team. They're, they're a 500 team. What do they have? You know, you don't want players who aren't playing to be sitting there convincing themselves that they're going to walk into a best of five series and win it in two games. Um, you know, so let's get that earworm in their heads already saying, hey, this team's like the old Canadians, right? The the seventies Canadians. Um, you know, they could skate, they could score, they could hit. They're going to, you know, their goalie is Ken Dryden and and Dominic Hashik rolled into one. Um, you know, good for him. Like, let's wake up the boys and make sure that they don't walk into camp. But I, I don't know if they're as good as he's built them up to be. I, I look in this situation, anybody's dangerous. Well, we don't know what's going to happen. We don't know who's going to come in shape. We don't know who's going to do what. You know, we had Brian Boucher on a couple of weeks ago, and he said the shooters are going to be ahead of the goalies. What if the goalies are ahead of the shooters and, and carry prices and carry price of old? So you better have your team prepared, and, and I think the psychology of that starts now. I agree with that. I think the psychology of it starts now. I also think that the Penguins are experienced enough, knowledgeable enough to realize what what they are up against that they can't take anything for granted and they know who Carey Price is. They know how good he can be. Um, so I, I appreciate Mark Recchi's comments and, and, and I, and to a degree, I think he's right. I think they are, they are a pain. In the, I think Brendan Gallagher is a pain in the butt to play against. I'm sure he is, you know, and, and some of these other guys and I'm, I, and they do skate well, they are well coached um, and they do have Carey Price. So to a degree, he, I, I see what he's saying there, but let's not, uh, Real, let's not forget here that the Penguins are an overwhelming favorite if this series goes on. Look, if the Penguins are healthy and they've figured out their goaltending, because they have a goaltending issue in Murray and, and Jerry, but if they're healthy and they have their full complement of players, they're a matchup nightmare. For, yeah. good, for, for any of those and teams in the top four, they're a matchup nightmare, never mind the, the 12th place team in the conference. So um, if they're rolling, they're certainly in a different league than the Canadians, but will they be rolling? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's interesting you bring up the goalies, though, right? Because you're right, Matt Murray, Tristan Jerry. In fact, look, it's very possible the one that the Penguins pick is the one that they keep for next season, too. I mean, that's, that's you know, kind of along the lines of what Jim Rutherford has talked about is they may have to trade a goalie after this season. But there's a couple other situations of, you know, with this return to play plan and the teams are involved, 
and their goaltending situations. I, I think of Columbus, Merzlikens, and Corpusallo. I, I think of Nashville, how good UC Saros was playing before the pause in the season. And then you have the you know the, the veteran there and Pekka Rinne. And I and I think of the Rangers. And uh, you know, I was on a call, a Zoom call with John Davidson and a couple of media members last week, and and he didn't rule out the fact that look, Henrik Lundqvist can be back playing in net. It's going to be a battle between Lundqvist and Shesterkin and Alexander Georgiev because when they play Carolina and, and Lundqvist's history against the Hurricanes suggests to me that he should have a really good chance because he is he has been excellent against Carolina. 3-0 this season too. Yeah, well look, in that series, in that series alone in the New York-Carolina series, you could conceivably see five goalies. Yeah. The Rangers have three and the Hurricanes have two and nobody knows who's going to play, you know, and, and look, but I, I also think in an unknown series and in, you know, you don't know where players are going to be. I, I think having multiple goaltenders that have played at the NHL level and have won at the NHL level is, is a luxury that's going to be immeasurable because what do you do? What do you do in game three of a five-game series and your goalie hasn't been any good because he's he can't find his rhythm, he hasn't played enough? You know, now you can bring in a Lundqvist. Now you can bring in, if the if the Predators go with Soros, which the numbers would suggest they would, now you can bring in a Rene who's won, who was the Vezina Trophy winner two years ago. Like, I, I think, you know, those teams, teams like Dallas, you know, who have Kubotin as a, as a backup, Kubotin, yeah. and, and teams like, you know, Boston, um, you know, who, who have backups that have kind of split the load. They're in a perfect position. If somebody doesn't figure it out quickly, they have somebody else they can go to. Yeah, well, that's the benefit of having two goalies. We've talked about it for a couple of years now in the NHL and the, the importance of having uh, two goalies who, who you can rely on to be your number one. Because it, it, in the days of the Marty Brodeur playing 70-plus, 78, I think. Didn't he play 78 one year? I think yeah, he, he was. did. Yeah, uh, th- those days are long gone uh, in the league. Now 60 is a lot, right? Look, so you, you need to have a guy who you can back up. The benefits of having two goaltenders far outweigh the headaches. And there yeah. are headaches. Ask any coach. Ask Mike Sullivan. Ask, you know, Bruce Cassidy. Ask any of these guys. There are headaches of dealing with two guys that want that net. But the the – the positives of that when one is hurt, when one is going bad, far outweigh any of those potential headaches that you have in trying to massage two egos. Yeah, absolutely. But I want to look at – I got a mailback question. And this, this – what we just said kind of goes right into it. So I got a mailback question this week about to pick my, my sleeper teams, right? Uh, you know, if this 24-team format comes out and everything, that, you know, all goes to plan, who are the sleeper teams? And, and my choices were the – basically, we're talking about – you know, teams that have two goalies and you need it and all that. My choices are the Florida Panthers who have Sergei Bobrovsky and he will be their guy. They will live and die with Sergei Bobrovsky and the Winnipeg Jets who have Connor Hellebuck and he will be their guy. They will live and die with Connor Hellebuck. They're, if there's a change in net other than health for either one of those teams in the qualifying round, I will be shocked. But I think both of those guys in a five-game series – can be the carry price for their team, as we're talking about with, you know, Pittsburgh and Montreal. I, I mean, Bobrovsky struggled this season, but he clearly proved last year in the playoffs that he can he can be clutch. Uh, he answered a lot of questions there. Uh, and the restart, you know, the, the pause to the restart gives him a chance at a fresh start. Connor Hellebuck was terrific this year. I think he can carry that way. And I think the Winnipeg Jets and Florida Panthers can be 
real sleeper teams here to not only get out of the qualifying round, but make a run because of those two guys and what they have around them. Yeah, I mean, I agree with that to a degree. Like, Bob has to find his way. The, the, I don't know what the Panthers are doing if they don't have goaltending. Um, right. Winnipeg, again, depth issues. I think they've played over their head most of the year, and a lot of that has been because of Connor. But, you know, I thought they were finding their identity before the pause. And, and you know, Blake Wheeler spoke this week, and he thinks that, you know, they can, they can recapture that and, and play to Paul Maurice's style. And, and I think that, you know, in, in a short series – I'm going to go with a Paul Maurice coach team um, mm-hmm. more often than not. Um, for me, those sleepers are, and we talked about it, I think Nashville is one of those teams. I, they underperformed all year. They're a far more talented team um, than they've been given credit for. I think in almost any series, they're going to have the best player on the ice in Roman Yossi. Um, and, yeah, and I think Norris Trophy have, winner in my opinion. Yeah, mine too. And I think they have more depth behind him you know, then, then they've been given credit for it. And those guys need to, you know, take this time and say, look, I've underperformed and I need to do better. And then the other one for me is Columbus. Columbus wow. hasn't been healthy since day one. And they've hung around the edges and they've given people fits. And now everybody's coming back. Seth Jones is back. You know, all those guys are back. And they got two goalies that have just been lights out. Um, and again, you want to talk about, playoff coaches look what John Tortorella did against the Tampa Bay Lightning last year you know so he got his team ready for a specific opponent got his team mentally ready quicker than John Cooper was able to get his team mentally ready and it was over like that and now you're talking about a five-game series if he has his guys ready and you know Nick Foligno spoke about it this week you know he's like we expect we don't expect a training camp like we would have for the regular season with John Tortorella, but he's going to have us ready to go. And when we drop that puck in game one, we're going to know what we need to do and how we need to do it to win. And again, as a healthy team, I would add another 10 points to, to what they accomplished this year. If yeah. they had everybody in their lineup. No, absolutely. And they far surpassed the expectations that I had. And I think many, many had for them. And, and look, I, I, fear for the person who uh, on the the player on the blue jackets who comes back after this long pause out of shape in training camp right? I do, I don't I wouldn't want to be anywhere near that guy or John Tortorella if that were to happen and and, and Felino talked about that too he said torts can be a big advantage for them in this series and no offense to Sheldon Keefe but I mean the advantage is clearly on John Tortorella's side in the coaching matchup yeah, and look, it's just – I think it's the psychology of the team at this point, right? You're yeah. not going to go – you're not going to go to camp out of shape because that's not that team's identity anymore. It's not going to be accepted. You know, we talk all the time about cultures and, and you know, how, you know, certain teams had cultures in any sport where they can take on troubled players or whatever. All oh, the room will take care of it. I think Columbus is one of those rooms now. Like, I don't even know as that it's – there's still a John Tortorella influence there, but I think their leadership group and just the expectations of the team and what they've been able to accomplish in the last two years with that mindset, I think this year really drove them to, you know, internally they kept saying, it's okay. It's okay that yeah. Bob left. It's okay that, that Panarin left. It's okay that this guy left and that guy didn't want to stay. And, you know, this guy went and found a better home somewhere else. It's all okay. 
because we have a system and we're going to win with that system. And then they did this year because I don't even know if the players at the beginning looked around at who they were playing with and said, how, how are we going to get in the playoffs? And then they did. And, and so now I think it's a self-fulfilling prophecy that if we do the things that we've, we've come to believe in, we're going to be successful. And when they show up, it would be my full expectation that the players have driven that and they will be disappointed they're afraid to disappoint their teammates at this point. Yeah, I agree. It's fun to talk hockey, isn't it? It's good yeah. to, to get in some nuts and bolts of the game and, and uh, look ahead and see what could be coming. And, I mean, we still have some time here. You know, we could have two months before this thing starts up if it's, you know, once we get it started up. But it's fun to look ahead and get matchups and, and dive in. We're doing it on NHL.com and we just did it here. Yeah, and look, hopefully phase two is going to start in a couple of days. And, and, you know, players will start getting on the ice and that'll feed the excitement a little bit. And, you know, we'll get some stories coming out of that and, and we can just keep that momentum going forward. So I look forward to doing this again soon and uh, talking more hockey. Yep. Next week for sure. This week, I, I was really, though, Sean, I'm, I'm really glad we were able to get Bill Douglas on to uh, give us his perspective on what's happening in the world. I thought that was great. I think it makes the podcast that I always feel is a must listen to a real must listen again. So listen, rate, review, leave your comments, and uh, we'll talk to you next week.